Buying a house is a significant decision in one's life. For most, it will be the largest purchase they will ever make. For many, it will happen maybe only once or twice in their lifetime. For others, buying and selling houses represents a core portion of a well-balanced portfolio. Though real estate was at the core of the Great Recession, it is known as a safe investment class. In recent years, real estate investors and house hackers alike have seen staggering profits from their assets. Regardless of which situation one is in, investing in such expensive, illiquid assets comes with a lot of risk and stress. As uncertainty looms over the global economy, recent news foreshadowed downside in the housing market with China Evergrande at the inception point. Is the tide starting to turn? How can we, as first-time buyers or investors, make the best of the current markets? And what role will technology take in shaping the future of real estate? Find out as we sit by the fireside. Before jumping into the episode, please note that we are not financial advisors and the opinions and thoughts expressed on this show are for entertainment purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please consult your financial advisor before entering into any trade. Hi everyone and welcome to The Fireside, a podcast where we take you on a journey in search of financial independence. So grab your beverage of choice and sit with us by The Fireside. I'm Miguel, your host for today, and I'm joined as usual by José. Today we have a very special guest, Jaime Azvedo. Jaime is an experienced real estate agent and is going to be joining us today for a discussion centered on the real estate markets. Hi Jaime, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the podcast and welcome, José, as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Welcome, Jaime. I'm very excited to have you here. We've been talking about it for quite some time, so uh, it feels it feels very rewarding to have you here already. And thank you, José. I appreciate the invitation. So for the benefit of our listeners, let's introduce you, Jaime, to everyone. So as I said, Jaime is a real estate agent and he actually helped me and my wife over the past couple of years with a couple of real estate purchases. And over the course of our dealings with Jaime, we really thought that he had, a, first of all, a keen eye for, for the, the industry, but also a keen eye for markets overall and for thinking and reasoning about world news and world events. So we're very excited, Jaime, and we actually... We, I wanted to start off by talking a bit about your background. So can you give us a bit of your story of how you ended up in real estate? Sure. Um, so going backwards, uh, I'm, I'm uh, the youngest of five brothers and sisters. So my siblings are all older than me. They lived in France. My parents were immigrants in France. And my father worked in the construction business there. So they moved um, when my youngest sister was one year old and I was born one year after that. So um, that connection with construction always uh, happened, real estate. My father used to buy and sell a lot, uh, even though he was uh, a very, um, very small scale. That I enjoyed how he made profit every time he, he sells. So it, it was something that I looked into. Um, when I was uh, uh, 14 to 18, I used to work with him. Uh, the houses that he bought, he 
fixer-uppers, you know, uh, houses that he, he fixed and then he, he sold. And I always had that passion growing, but I didn't know how to do it. And I eventually studied in a completely different area uh, in management of tourism companies. And the tourism was soaring in, in uh, those years, in 2000, 2001, and so, so on and so forth. So that's what I studied management, hotels, airlines, and so things like that. I should note for our listeners that Jaime, like Jose and myself, is based in Portugal. Yes. Uh, and tourism is a big thing in our country with us, most of our cities being by the, by the yeah. seaside as well. It's about 10% of our economy in Portugal, so it's a big thing. And tourism was starting to grow in Porto. Porto was almost an unknown city in Portugal. It's Algarve and Lisbon was what's, what's going on. So I didn't have a, actually a, a university in Porto that uh, it was public and had tourism. So I had to go to a private school. And it was uh, a license degree. I made my license degree. I worked for 16 years in travel agencies and I managed several employees. And then in 2019, I I, I sold that company and I was already working in real estate for three years by then. Um, uh, real estate was starting to grow a lot and I took that, that opportunity to fulfill that dream of working with real estate and helping some, um, some people through that. And I, I really appreciate that I had that, uh, that perception and started to work in this area and and I've been striving to become as the specialist that I can be uh, working in this market and worldwide as well. All right, that sounds great. I, I actually, I knew that your father had been involved in construction, but I, I didn't know that he used to do what we call house hacking, buying low, yes. fixing, fixing up the he house. He still does that. <laughs> he still does that and he manages to turn a profit. He's still that he, he's yeah he so he's he's almost eighty years old, so he will turn eighty in uh, two thousand twenty four, and he just bought a house, uh, his neighbors, <laughs> so uh, he bought his neighbors home and he's still painting. The other day I was there and it was up a ladder painting a, a ceiling. Wow. So he still does it. It's something that it's so on 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 the on on the very uh, essence of this podcast. He didn't really get the second part of the of the fire. So the retire early is definitely not <laughs> in the cards for it's him. Uh, that's amazing. I, I, I no, I, I really really uh, admire those kind of those kind of people. That I, I think I'm very similar to that. I. I don't see myself, you know, you, you, even even if I would be, and I had this conversation with Miguel before, that even if I would build enough wealth, um, I wouldn't look into retiring or just going like, you know, whatever, I'm not doing anything, you know. I think there's, I think maybe like your dad, like yourself, and, you know, like Miguel, I think we're just kind of hardwired in a particular way that, you know, we just can't stay still. Um, and I really admire the admire that uh, those kind of people especially like your dad like being 80 years old and you know still still going at it yeah, it's amazing still investing we should invite him for the next fireside definitely <laughs> I mean, definitely, if, definitely. If, his, if his english is not up to par maybe we can do it in french <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so i actually i want to i want to get back to 
an early part of your introduction because you were talking about your, your dad and how he influenced your path to where a career in real estate would have been a good option for you. When you were growing up and seeing your dad do this sort of deals, sort of entrepreneurship, what attracted you more? Was it the, the business side of it, the entrepreneurship itself, or was it the real estate markets and working in, in, in fixing up houses and etc.? Well, one thing that I, I noticed with my father is that the, he's a very calm person and I'm more of, a, more of an anxious kind of person that goes and does stuff. So he would intuitively, so his intuition goes towards uh, knowing if something is a good business. Um, so he would always keep an eye. He's not the chatty kind of person. He's very introverted, and he, but he, he's keeping his eye on on the market. He knows the value of things, so he's always look. He was always looking out for an opportunity. He would have some cash on the side, but as the cash starts growing, he would look for a real estate opportunity, a small thing, medium, uh, top thing, anything that he sees that it's a good opportunity. He would be savvy enough to when the opportunity comes, he would buy it without getting into any, um, uh, you know, loan with banks or stuff like that. He would buy it uh, from his own cash. So even if it's a small house, a small piece of land, uh, a garage, uh, anything that is an opportunity-wise thing to do, he would do it. Uh, And his intuition came from his knowledge and his perception of, you know, looking around and being on top of things. Yeah, it sounds like he really applied the principles of the fire movement, saving up, avoiding debt, and then doing side side hustles to improve his, yes, his income. That's exactly what he did. That's fantastic. So I, I want to switch gears now and, and dive into the one of the main topics of the conversation that we want to have with you today. Uh, so to, to give an overview to our listeners, we want to talk about the current state of the housing market we know that in recent years, any fool that bought some asset in real estate would be able to turn a profit within a very short amount of time. I mean, I was one of those fools. I made a purchase two years ago with my wife. We bought an apartment uh, with Jaime's help. And after a year, unfortunately, it didn't work out for us and we had to move to a new place. And we still managed, with only one year of having lived in that place, and some very minor construction work, we managed to sell it for a decent profit. So any fool like myself has managed to make a profit on the real estate industry. And many buyers have often felt that, at least in Portugal, the rise in real in price of real estate assets just couldn't keep up over a long time. But I felt this for, for a few years. But now it seems like there's maybe more reason to justify these feelings. As someone who works in the industry day in and day out, what are your perceptions on this? And have you seen any impact in the deals that you've been making? Have you seen you know, a change in demand and in supply, for example? So in Miguel's profit, I want to say that he's no fool. <laughs> uh, he, he, he made a lot of wise decisions. He's a very informed People, and he was very wise to choose a real estate agent service. Of <laughs> that, that was the wise choice. That was the wise part. <laughs> that that, that was, was maybe my, my one good choice. Yes. And he was. I had to to step up the game with Miguel because I know he was very attentive to everything. 
So one of the things that you need to, if you're thinking about investing in real estate, so make sure you get uh, professional information or professional help. Someone specialized in that specific field and knows what he's doing. And probably if you have some referrals of that person, uh, either professional or in personal, personally, values are very important to me. Principles and values are very important. So if you know that person might be very credible, very professional, but you want you want it to be also um, value-wise, value-wise and principles-wise, someone that is trustworthy, someone that is honest, and that will make sure that you make best business with you. So, and putting that aside and, and putting honors uh, in Miguel code, <laughs> that uh, it was a very good, uh, and, and it's not um, that, uh, Every customer, there are easy customers and hard customers. Um, and I would uh, say that hard customers for me are those that have me put my game up, just step up uh, and make the best out of me. So if, if doing that and regarding the market, like you said, Miguel, and the question that you've made, um, it's important to be informed. Um, not that kind of um, that kind of information that comes from the news on the on the end of the day. I wouldn't mm -hmm. look into that, but I would look into numbers and breaking numbers and statistics regarding the last year, the last trimester. So uh, that is very important information. And in real estate, you need to be in top of information of the last quarter mm -hmm. because things change rapidly in today's economy and you tend to be misinformed if you think things are still going the same way um, so it's very important to not to spend hours being informed uh, or looking into news but just pay, uh, going to um, a credible institution uh, and looking into numbers and cracking them a little bit, just see if how many transactions have been made in the market. Are those transactions going up or going going down? How is the 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 Euribor, the reference for interest uh, mm -hmm. in the market? Is it going up? Is it going down? And then the a little bit like my father did. You need to have a perception of your own, the common senses, uh, and look around, talking with neighbors. Are people looking for houses? Are people not looking for houses? There, how's the renting business? Um, are people looking for for houses um, to go into? Is there a market that that influences a lot because investors will buy more when that happens? So it's all a mix. It's not, you cannot go to a source only to know how the market is doing. You need to have a, a, a mix of several sources and then ponder a little bit. But if you have a professional of your trust, you have a shortcut. You have someone that will open up and will be, will be very open with you and very upfront and say, this is how the market is. So one of the things that I did with Miguel and I do with all my buyers, uh, 
every visit that I, I go to, I make um, a report of how the market is doing for that specific parish mm -hmm. or that municipality. So I, I, uh, I read, uh, um, there's specialized websites for that of uh, artificial intelligence. So I just put the data in of what my customer wants, if it's a three bedroom apartment uh, from the year 80, you know, 80, the 80s or from the 90s. Um, and then I just ask a quote to the system and he goes and gives me a report and then I, I give it to the customer. So it's just as simple as that. And it's a paid tool by professionals and you can get access to that at no cost if you have a, a good uh, real estate agent. There's a lot to unpack about what you said. Um, and to me, uh, I don't want to undersell how important it is, the values that you mentioned right at the beginning. I don't know if this is a statement that I can generalize across different countries for the real estate industry. But what I found when we started the process, because my wife and I, we didn't actually, we didn't start with Jaime when we were first looking for a house. And we went through a number of real estate agents and they came across much more as salesmen than actual real estate agents. And so we were never sure if they were actually telling us the truth or telling us something that would just help them get the highest margin or to close the deal faster or whatever. And with you, we really noticed a difference in the way you positioned yourself. You were there as a support to guide our process. I think one way that you face your mission is, is to present us with as much information as we may be able to digest and then removing blockers so that the process can flow and build the trust that. with us. Exactly, perfectly. So my purpose is to have the customer or the, the purpose, my purpose and every real estate agent purpose should be help your customer make the most informed decision that they can. Okay, and you cannot decide anything or pressure anything for your customer to do. So if, if you're looking into buying or selling, make sure that you have access to the most information possible of your specific situation, not the how the world is, because there are clusters, there are nests where things are different. So make sure that you make a very well-informed decision. So when I look to real estate agents, like Miguel was saying, I see, I, I need to go to my grandparents. I need to go back. So my grandparents were farmers. Uh, and I consider myself a real estate agent that is a farmer. We have most, most agents are hunters or fishermen. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, and a hunter is someone that finds someone that wants to sell or to buy and they shoot so they have the, the meat they can have to, you know, whatever time they need. But once they shoot, usually that customer won't come back because they will die. They will feast on their meat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but they are active. They are very um, talkative person, people, you know, and they, they want, uh, they give a lot of information, but, and, you know, things sometimes don't make a lot of sense. They would jump into a visit to a real estate without, um, you know, talking with, through you with options or taking you to the bank to see how much can you get uh, from the bank to buy your home. They don't care if you're paying a 1% or 2% rate. 
So they don't do that homework. They just grab you and they take you to the visit. So that's a hunter. Okay. You can you can trace a hunter if you are looking for a real estate agent. If they do this, they they're in a hurry. Okay, and they always say you yeah, you need to harvest this opportunity. So that's a hunter. Okay. Yeah. Then you have the fishermen. So the fishermen are people that just you know they they're calm. They're they put their bait and they ask you to you know they wait for you to bite it. Okay. And usually they take care of owners. So they they take they list their home and they sit back and hope their phone to ring. Okay, that's right. usually that's sufficient. <laughs> okay. They don't do work with your home, they don't call other real estate agents to see if they have customers or not. So they just wait. And it's okay, it's their way of being, but that's not what you're hired for. Okay. Um, and then you have the 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 farmers so the farmers inform the customers as much as they can it doesn't mean if they like like you're doing the fireside so you just give information to people and you're very generous with them you just give whatever you know you share with them and you spread your seed in, in the sense of you're planting and one day you'll you'll harvest so that's you need to look into your real estate agent or the professional or even a seller if it's a direct customer, a direct seller, a homeowner. You need to look into them and, and think back and remember this analogy. Is this a fisherman? Is this a hunter? Or is this a, um, a farmer? So if you do this exercise, you'll be better off starting your journey to buy or to sell. I think that's... Uh, that's uh... Yeah, it's it's an amazing way that you put it. Um, I'm I'm a big supporter of like uh, having, um, you know, uh, explaining things with your daily life um, uh, actions or, or or elements. And I think putting it that way, where it's like you have, I've never thought about it this way. Where you, and I think this can apply to a lot of different businesses and and trades. But I think for real estate agents, it's a very very easy one you know you have a spectrum you know you have like the the fishermen's on on one side of the spectrum you have your hunters on the other side of the spectrum and you kind of have your farmers kind of more or less in the middle right where you you kind of you you wait for things to happen but you've done quite a lot of work beforehand so that's kind of like your your hunter part which is a bit more proactive a bit more aggressive to kind of plant the seeds and then you have your fisherman side which is kind of okay I've, i've done my work now I'm gonna wait for 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 the seed to grow. So I think it's a it's a really really good way to put it. And you know, not just because uh, there's two perspectives of in terms of listeners. Now you you know in terms of um, you know th- there could be people that are looking to becoming real estate agents as well that are listening to us. And I think that's a good way for them to also think about what kind of person they want to be uh, in terms of being a real estate agent. So I think that's also a very good uh, good way to put it. And this is a mirror of what Miguel was asking. The values. That's what I was going to. So, if people's values are um, honesty, yeah. transparency, um, you know, helping others, generosity, empathy. So all those values kick in, and you can see them on a, a farmer, because they're not looking for a quick buck. Yeah. They don't want you for because people most people will buy a house or two during their lifetime and most places of the world right 
but uh, and so some some real estate agents don't worry about that because you know they'll have them for once or twice in their lifetime. So one thing one one thing that most people don't know is that of a hundred real estate agents that go into the market, you know, only twenty percent stay on the, in the period of three years. So that that says a lot about the this this uh, this profession, this art of helping people to buy and sell. So, and only the farmers stay, right? Because they can wait. Uh, they go through a drought, and it's okay. And people will refer them and to their friends, and and so on and so forth. So it's it's very important, like Miguel was saying, values are the key to have a good, um, don't jump into a decision of buying something without making an informed decision. Make sure you talk not only with the professional, but your friends, your family, and make sure that you have all their opinions leveled and you'll make uh, a good decision. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I wanna switch gears a little bit and back towards the investment side of real estate and real estate market as a whole. So you've alluded before that to the fact that when you try to gauge your perception or your outlook on the real estate market, you look at numbers and you even talked about some indicators like the number of transactions that you look at. For example, when you guided us through the process of our last two purchases, you did give us that report that was incredibly useful. And I found that a number of indicators there were were relevant for me because I'm a data-oriented kind of person. And for example, one that was interesting was the average price per square foot of assets that were sold within the type of assets that we were looking to buy or sell in that particular area. So I thought that was one, one useful indicator. The other one was how long were properties in the market for before they sold? And what was the contrast between the price of those that sold quickly and the price of those that took a long time to sell? And like you said, the number of transactions and etc. Given this and any other indicators that you may be keeping an eye on, if I could hard press you to give me your forecast, what would you say is the outlook for the real estate market in, in for example, in, in the Porto area or so, the Portugal area? Regarding indicators, it's again, it's a mix of several factors. You cannot... Like there's the square footage or the square meter price. It's uh, an indicator that by itself alone doesn't tell a lot. Because you, if you have a house that is facing north um, and it's, a, imagine an apartment that mm -hmm. is facing north in the same building and it's 200,000 euros. So in the same building, you have another uh, exactly the same apartment but facing south so those uh, equal you know they're they're the same apartments same area same kitchen same everything but one is facing north and one is facing south and even if the facing north had more square meters than the facing south the south would uh, would value more than north south okay so this is these these are factors. Well, why why is that what uh, how does the the North, south, east, and west. How does that affect? Well, that affects uh, the because the, the the energy price, for example, if it's a um, a country that is very cold, if it's facing 
south, you'll get the sun more hours than the one facing north. So if you get the one facing north, you'll get sun in the morning and sun probably in the end of the afternoon, and you'll get no sun uh, during the day. So you'll need more heating. Um, you'll have more humidity in your, your your apartment. You need to make sure everything's okay with the the facade so it doesn't yeah, penetrate the humidity. So it, there's a lot of factors in it. And right. of course, it's more welcoming to have uh, sun in your apartment every day or your home every day than not having it, right? So it's all those factors that are valuable in a house. But if you're passionate with the house, you're not, you don't take your compass with you and look where south is and north is if the sun is coming. Because if it's a cloudy, like if it's in, you know, it's England, if it's cloudy, <laughs> You, 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 if you go there in the middle of the afternoon, but you like the house because you like the location, you like everything, and it's a rainy day, you're not thinking, oh, is this facing north or is this facing south? You don't care about that. So it's an indicator that is, is most people don't look into, but it's very important, okay? Uh, and if you're, especially if you're thinking about having that place for a long time, people that buy it for a lifetime mm-hmm. and believe me that facing south north east yeah. and west will will make the difference so you cannot look to the square meters and say oh okay this is let's apply this rule and if it's a basement if it has a lot of footage it doesn't you know yeah. you, you cannot evaluate it the same way so yeah it's a mix of several factors taking square meters off it's a very important indicator but you need to look into the other indicators that Miguel mentioned. So how many, uh, usually the average of a property sold in that area, how many days, 100 days, 200 days, a year. So that's a very important indicator because it look, it tells you how the market is, how houses are selling, how fast they are selling. Okay. Um, so another indicator that is important is... Um, you know there are there are specific statistics wise in government for example it needs to be uh, like in portugal you have the national institute of statistics but every every place has one right every country has one so you need to look into that and see how old the population is there so um mm-hmm. if you want to look into that it's very important because if it's young population usually the velocity of uh, selling and buying will be faster. If it's an old population, you need to take care of that because you, you might buy well there, but if it, the generations don't renew, you'll have a hard time to sell it because usually people over 60 won't yeah. buy yeah. and sell if it's not my father. Right? <laughs> because <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> he still buys at 80. So, and even if it's an investor, and if he sees that there are, you know, there's no population going there to study or people that get married or children and people are running places there, he won't buy there. So you need, so it's a mix of several indicators that you need to look into and make sure that you're making a very well-informed decision. I know that buying a house, it's usually it's very a passionate deal. So you fall in love with the house, 
and you you see that there's no option or that's an average option in the market and you just you know you make the decision jump in but it might be too late once you you buy it because you might not be able to get out from so look into various you know several indicators and make a mix of them and balance them and make a good decision so in, in particular, we've been looking at data such as inflation, worsened conditions for obtaining loans to purchase real estate, so to purchase either your first home or homes for investment. And we look at this and also news from a potential collapse in the, in the Chinese housing market, for example. And we'll leave that in the comment section wherever you find this episode of these, these news sources. But we're, we're looking at these and... This is, at least to me, and I think Jose as well, has helped shape our opinion that buyers will have worsened conditions to get into the market, especially first-time buyers, which will probably pressure sellers into, you know, either... I think sellers are, right now in this market, they're used to being able to just jack up prices because it is a seller's market. And so this is going to start putting pressure on sellers to either reduce their prices or just have their properties on listed for longer, which will eventually drive prices down. Do you share this sentiment or, and have you seen this happen in either today yet, or do you think it's still to come yeah. or do you think it will so, not happen at all? That's a very hard question. Um, because, uh, you know, there, it, this is not a, a, a precise science, right? Yeah. But um, one thing that I can tell you is when one thing that we can look into is look into the last crisis and what happened, what happened in the crash of 2008 to 2011, what happened in the beginning of the millennium, the years 1999, uh, 2000, what happened in 84, 85, what happened in the 70s with the energy crisis. So all of that are indicators of how the economy might uh, go and uh, in the next couple of years or months, okay? So although we have all those indicators, it doesn't mean that it will happen in your specific market, okay? So there are bubbles uh, here and there, and you need to make sure that if you're in that bubble or outside of that <laughs> bubble, okay? So regarding the... China indicator of the bankruptcy of one of their biggest groups. That's part of a bubble and you need to look into China and see, and this is my opinion, okay? Uh, you need to look into China, how the, the, the government works there, how they try to contain everything and make sure, like it happened with COVID. So it's a perfect, and I'm just an analogy, I'm thinking about it as yeah. we speak. So with COVID, they tried to contain it as much as they could, and uh, until you know someone brought it to the to the West or to you know by airplane here and there. So that might happen with this with real estate. So it's like a virus that spreads around the world. Um, but if we take the specific me measures to avoid it, it might uh, not happen. Okay, I don't know what masks you'll have in real estate or what vaccines you need to take in real estate but it's a real uh, it's it's really an analogy that makes you think okay so they will try to contain it i'm sure they will try to do that but that will have an impact in in big banks that uh, are exposed to that in china 
and that have investments there and that might spread here. But one, one data that most people don't have is what real estate agents talk about in our meetings. Um, when the pandemic started, so in our specific market in Portugal, and this applies a little bit all across Europe, United States as well as those markets, I know them. So what happened in the first three months of lockdown was, okay, this will, this will have a huge impact in real estate. Okay, so things will break down, prices will go down, and uh, in soon we'll have houses selling for, for less. So this is common sense. Everyone said that, even real estate agents, right? You, you felt that as well? Yeah, yeah. I've, I fully expected that because we were talking at the time and you, you, I knew that you weren't able for an extended period of time. You weren't even able to do any personal visits. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I, I, think, I think there was even a period of time where no deed signing was happening and, and then eventually in very singular situations you could get out of the house to sign a deed or etc so i would have expected the market to break down right there because there's no selling happening but don't you don't you think don't you think though that a lot of it was um influenced by the support that the governments provided in terms of the you know the the, the checks and 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 you know the, the well a lot of what happened back then we're essentially paying now right you know all the inflation we're going through now is a consequence of a lot of the you know the the boosts that governments provided to the economy yeah the, right? the quantitative and, easing and and the scenario and the scenario we had back then i think it got heavily uh, skewed because of that right you know a lot of the things everyone thought oh you know it's going to be catastrophic it wasn't great, but it wasn't catastrophic, right? You know, you had, you know, the markets were like the, the market. If you look at the markets, right, the markets uh, and that's for me, that's an indicator I look to to quite a lot. The markets dropped like absolute crazy on the day that lockdowns were announced around March 2020. You see like this monumental, you know, crash, then it picks up. And then from there on, it was basically essentially going up and up and up and up and up and up, right? Because the governments kept providing all the support that was needed. Now, what is happening now, I think, is that that support is not there anymore. It's the opposite, right? Because inflation has had incredibly you know, high points. And one of the things that for me is kind of, and I look a lot towards the US market, and I'm very, very curious to, to hear your thoughts on this one. Um, Obviously, it's a consequence of things, right? So, for example, you know, you have inf inflation. Inflation leads for interest rates to go up, right? Which then lead to lending standards to tighten, which then directly affects the affordability of people. So, for example, in the US, some of the numbers that came out, uh, some of the numbers that came out were uh, that, you know, a, a person that would afford a $500,000 house could now, with the same exact situation same job same everything would only be able to afford the 350,000 house right and this is all down to the fact that interest rates have gone up the lending has become tighter which means that you cannot afford the house not because of your changes but because the government changed because the economy has changed right so 
And that, for me, kind of all leads down to one particular thing, which is buyer demand, right? You know, the, the less affordability that is, the less buyer demand that is going to be. But how, how, how do you feel about that? Well, what's, what's your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that regarding the, the start of the pandemic and the, and the expectation of everyone that the market would crash, would go down, and we would have a real estate crisis were that everyone, I'm, I'm mentioning the biggest brokers across the world, okay, uh, big brands. I was working at a, a top brand back then and we had everyone, every broker said, okay, soon you'll have a lot more listings to do because people will start to give their homes, okay? And even when the, we call it the moratorios here in Portugal, so the, when those uh, suspending periods of time that you need, you, you need to pay your loan, just the interest to the bank because the government's made some yeah. some adjustments uh, to help people, but it didn't happen in every country. It happened in some countries, but not everywhere. So regarding that, the expectation was there. Everyone was expecting it to happen, but especially buyers. So they kind of stopped a little bit. If you had a, a, a ratio of one house for 10 buyers, that's usually what happened in 2020. So a lot of people looking for homes. Mm. We started having a rate of five buyers to one one listing. Okay, so they they got down, and when people came to us, we could sense they were much more informed than they were in the past, and they already talked with the bank. They have everything planned. So it was a little bit of a dream of a buyer to real estate agents because people came prepared. They were. You know, they, they were informed. They were expecting the prices to go down. So this is what happened in Portuguese market. And I would say a little bit in Spain because mm-hmm. I know the market in France and Italy. So the prices of the properties stood the same. Okay. The, the listings that we had were still the same. No one said, okay, I will put mm-hmm. the price down because COVID is happening. So they did not do that. They kept the price. Mm-hmm. But the closing price would be around five or six percent down of the listing price. So it was an adjustment that was only done in the buying side of things, but not in the listing price. So that kind of put the, it maintained the idea, okay, if I'm selling, are the prices going down? No, they're not going down. So I will put, price up 10% of what I'm trying to close it. So that's one of the things that happened in sellers. And now regarding your question, Jose, about the about inflation. So the 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 inflation in real estate has been happening for a long time already. Okay. So I would say four or five years, especially in Portugal, but a little bit across the West. Uh, so houses that would be valued like in the United States and all Utah market in the west side of the United States. So people that owned a 500, a 500k dollar house, now they're millionaires because houses are around 1 million. It's the same house, but it's worth the double in four years. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's actually something that happened. But one thing that is very interesting is that the going up of interest uh, is uh, is trying to contain the inflation. 
the, the interest didn't go up just by itself because people, you know, central banks want to sell their money for more. It, that's not what happened. So the interest went up mm-hmm. to try to contain the inflation and say, hey, the inflation is going up a lot. So let's let's try to contain it. Let's put the interest rate and let's make, uh, they're trying to, uh, you know, invite they're trying to make it harder to loan money for this therefore driving the prices down exactly but if you have like if our listeners people that are listening right now so i have 200k in the bank i have 200,000 euros or 200,000 uh, dollars that i want to invest so they they have their bank they have their money in the bank because they're you know they want to save and they're getting a half percent rate on that deposit, one percent rate on that deposit. So if it's uh, if if they're cautious, if you're more cautious and you don't want to invest uh, with risk, you will invest where in real estate. Okay, you'll invest in land because you know land is not produced anymore. And the housing, the building houses is not happening as fast as, as it was in the past because banks are not giving to constructors to, to, to develop. So I don't know if you know this, but yeah. in the Portuguese market, only 5% of the houses that are sold are new houses. 95% of the rest are houses that are used. Okay. So this is a very important indicator. So how has this indicator been uh, been changing? Like, because it's always interesting to understand, because the indicator in itself is one thing, but knowing how you know it has been fluctuating, like how it trended, like has been has it been going down? Has it been remaining like the same? Homes go regarding yeah, yeah. So like those five percent, like was it ten years ago or been, five years ago? Yeah, it's been going down. It's been okay. going down. So it's okay. been going down since 2010, 2011. Um, this is regarded with labor. So in our economy, in Portuguese economy, and I think across uh, Southern Europe, so a lot of the labor goes north. So there's not, not a lot of people that are specialized in construction that are work, working actually right now. And those that stay, they charge five or six times more of what they did last, last crisis, right? Because yeah. they're 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 alone in the market, they're specialized and they know what they're doing. So, um, so it's been an adjustment, and and right now new homes are still being adjusted because the the prices of the materials are going up like crazy because of inflation. And if you're you're buying your home, and the the seller, the constructor, did not, uh, you know, put. Uh, um, uh, comparison uh, or an, an indicator that things would go up they are losing money they're not making money they're losing money yeah. because iron was 42 cents two years ago and now it's one euro and 50. so Jesus. just wow. you know it's just uh, it's 300 percent of increase and in several things so constructors now are adapting and they're buying everything they need to buy that building or to build a, a huge building of seven stores or nine stores. Uh, and they buy everything, they put it in a storage unit, and they go there every time they need because they want to contain inflation. Okay. So that interest has been going down 
uh, since yeah. 2008, 2009, it increased a little bit about four years ago. From, I would say from two, three percent to five, six percent in some years, but it's still down. Uh, it's, it's still down. Thanks for sharing your insight into this. I think the labor shortage is a consequence of macro events like worldwide events with more and more people in the new generations being primed to want a degree in specialized white collar work. And that leaves a shortage of blue collar workers uh, or construction specialized workers worldwide. But also in Portugal, I think it's even more accentuated because of immigration, which is still an issue in our country. And a lot of the immigrants are these folks who are willing to work hard, but find better compensation abroad. I want to move on to the final topic that we, we had in the doc for today. And I think it's incredibly exciting. And I think it will pique the interest of our listener base, which is the potential already ongoing involvement or integration of blockchain technology in real estate. So to try to contextualize this a bit, in, in many of, of our conversations prior to this, uh, between Jaime, myself and, and Jose, we're, we've talked about how there's a lack of transparency in the real estate industry. We've talked about it today in our, in our conversation about how a lot of sales, uh, sorry, a lot of real estate agents act more in the role of a salesman and actually try to act on their own interests. And sometimes that, that leads to less transparency and more even manipulation, I would say. I mean, I mean maybe for another episode, we can dive deeper into the novella that was the, the last deal that we made here when we purchased our house. But there was a lot of just miscommunication, even I, I would dare say, you know, ill intent in, in some parties. And Jaime, as, as you've said today, and as we know, you espouse a completely different set of values that go towards transparency, that go towards collaboration between yourself and both the buyers and the sellers and the real estate agents on the op opposing side. That is built upon trust. And you just pitched us this, this topic for conversation of how blockchain technology could help not only foster, but in a certain way, just enforce that this trust needs to be in place or promote this trust. Can you walk us through a bit how, how that would take place, take shape? Sure. So it, this is a fairly new thing, even for me. They started just now talking about it. Um, and this reminds me, and every everyone that talks about this says that blockchain will be the crypto like it happened in the past when it started. Uh, with Bitcoin and, and all of that and the internet when it started and the boom that it was in the beginning. So blockchain in real estate will change the way people buy and sell homes. And so I don't know exactly how it will work and no one does, but um, it's important to know these values that we were talking about, about honesty, transparency is a very big deal in real estate, okay? So imagine, imagine a, a chain of people that are involved with real estate. The bank, the, the, the notaries or the place where you sign your deeds, um, the real estate agents, the brokers, everyone in the same platform, uh, uh, checking, making the checks and balances, right? So 
everyone I have, for example, I have a, a tool, like I told you, there are several tools here in Europe and in Portugal. Uh, we have a lot of those tools. It's an AI, uh, artificial intelligence system that uh, this duplicates the, the real estate that is selling because some people put their real estate listing all across the, the, the agencies, like three, four, five, six brands, six, six real estate agencies. So that duplicates and like you go to a, a, a portal, a website that says that there are a hundred three bedroom apartments for sale in Porto. And actually there are only 35 because many of them are duplicated and people take, you know, different pictures, it, it, real estate agents take different pictures, sometimes different prices, uh, different descriptions, different square meter uh, footage uh, in the descriptions. So it's all a confusion. So with blockchain, what will happen, uh, like it happens in this AI tool that I, I bought to use for my customers, is that I go into that, it disduplicates the travel uh, or the, the real estate agent. When they go into the system, they, they can disduplicate by themselves if the system did not do that. And once you sell, you can put the selling price there, okay? So if we have the government attached to that in the system, when it goes to the, the, the taxes, uh, the finances department of the state, so they can go there and check and see, yes, it was sold. So you have two witnesses. And then you have the, where you sign the deed. It goes to the system and say, it was sold by this price. So there's no doubt. Like this happens in the, in the United States. They have a system called the MLS. And this system, anyone can go and see how much the neighbor's house was sold right. for. Anyone okay, can go there and do this. And so this will eventually lead to where? Where you can trade your home for anything, right? It doesn't, you, need, you don't need to trade your home for money. You can trade it for other things. You can trade it by yeah. crypto. You can trade it by, um, you know, by anything that you want. So this will allow, so if probably if this one, but there's someone thinking about a crypto that does that, <laughs> that attributes a value to, to your home and to other things and you can, you know, trade it. Uh, and this will help, for example, uh, here in Portugal, uh, if you're buying a home, you, you pay around, um, you pay 2% over homes uh, in Texas, in homes that are valued more than 125,000 euros. So you're looking into buying an apartment two for 200 euros and pay 10 to 12,000 euros in taxes in registration, in uh, eval evaluations and everything, okay? So even if you want to buy and you're in the process of knowing if you have the capacity of buying a uh, home, you spend around 500 euros just to know if that home is uh, the price that the, the owner is asking, okay? So, and you don't buy it, so you can do that two, three, four times, and you pay 500 euros each time. So, if you have a, a blockchain that does that for you, you have an MLS like in the United States, 
that everyone goes into and sees how the, how the neighbors sold their home for how much and this and that, that usually helps because you can have a relationship of trust yeah. with your agent and with, with the seller, with the buyer, and everyone knows that you're not, you know, over evaluating or underestimating the value of your home. So this will have a huge impact uh, on the way we sell and buy homes in the future. So I'm very excited for that. Um, and I hope that we in the future know how we can invest in that because it will change the world uh, in the way real estate is sold. And so as far as I understand from this, it, you would be able as a buyer because at least you're in Portugal, when you sell a house or an apartment, you pay the commission to the real estate agents. And when you buy, you pay the taxes. So it's kind of like each person, each side pays a little bit and it's roughly the same amount. Um, so if I understand correctly, the involvement of blockchain or, or the switch to a blockchain-based you know, framework or platform for, for these sort of transactions would not only preclude the need for these small expenses in the in the initial part of the process but it would also greatly reduce the or, or even eliminate all the the taxing that goes along with these transactions because there would be less if any government oversight over how this this takes place is that correct it it is correct i would add a couple of things like well, before you start buying, you already have the idea, right? Of how much the worth, if you're buying well, right? And that's, it's part of the negotiation. You might negotiate for this or for that, but it's really, it will have a huge impact, like you were saying, in, on taxes, for example. In different countries, things are tend to be different, but it's in Portugal, I will talk about what I know best. So I just sold an apartment yesterday uh, for a customer of mine that was sold by 180,000 euros. So taxes wise, this house is evaluated by the state, uh, for 85,000 euros. Okay. So the, for them, for the state, this house is valued in 85,000. So everything taxes wise will be 85,000 euros. You pay the annual municipality uh, municipality tax so you pay 0.05 uh, depending on the, on the city that you're living so uh, based on that value not on the value that you bought the house okay mm -hmm. but so let's pretend that this house was in the market and we already had blockchain happen okay so you might sell this house and trade it by Bitcoin or by anything else that you want, any crypto that you want, okay? So, or even other things that are not crypto, but let's talk about crypto, it's easier probably to understand. So, if you trade it, it's not, you're not selling it for money. So, you won't pay taxes on the money that you're receiving, okay? And you're not paying on the taxes that you're buying because one when you're buying you need to pay 0.0 0.6 percent of they call it the imposto de sale mm. 
like stamp it's the stamp tax. duty it's called stamp duty yeah. yeah stamp duty so you pay half percent so in a hundred thousand euros you'll pay 500 euros if it's 2000 1000 euros it, mm -hmm. stamp duty there you go 1000 euros <laughs> okay just, just for, and this is one of many of course it's one of many if you're financing the bank will charge stamp duty 0.8 percent right okay 800 euros out the window or 1600 euros uh, <laughs> out the window okay and then you'll pay two percent in imposto de transmissões onerosas so the transmission uh, tax by money so you pay 2% over 125. So the government considers a home of 125 a need, a base, mm -hmm. basic need. So if you're buying anything above 125, they will charge you 2% over everything you buy above 125. So that's the, we call it the EMT yeah. or IMT yeah. portion. So but, here but it goes. Just, but if you're buying a house, that is valued in Bitcoin or whatever, then you're not subjected to that tax. Is that the, the idea? No, no, no. For this specific apartment, it's better for to understand with this specific example of yesterday. So if my customers that are buying did buy it with Bitcoin, they would pay the taxes over the 85, not over the 180. Uh -huh. So the state would consider that it's a basic home, it's a basic need, so they would be exempt of paying tax, at least the IMT, the transmission mm -hmm. tax. So they wouldn't, pay, they wouldn't pay it. They would be exempt of paying that tax. And they would only pay the, 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 the stamp, the duty stamp, right? The stamp duty. They would, would only pay the 0.6% over the 85 because it's the value of the state, not over the mm -hmm. 180. So that's just a small example of what could happen. So imagine that my seller that made 180 and bought it four years ago for 93.5. So he just made 90,000 uh -huh. euros. So taxes wise, if they don't invest it in the next three years for their own home and their first and only home, if they don't invest those 90,000 or those, yeah, I will go to that. It's complicated a little bit. But I will go to that. So they will pay taxes over 50% of their profit. Okay? Imagine they made 100,000. So will they will pay 50% uh, over that. Um, they will pay over 50%. So if you're in the, if you're IRS, so you're, you're a tax on income, if you're at 40% uh, level, you'll pay 40% over those 50K that you made in profit at the state of Mexico. Right. So you're looking to saving a lot of money. Yeah? We're talking about 40,000 euros in 180,000 transactions. So it's a lot of money. Yeah. So this will completely change the way people um, make, sell real estate or buy real estate. So my advice to you is to keep an eye, keep an eye on blockchain, mm -hmm. keep an eye on any crypto that might want to uh, index their value on real estate value, which is, I think, 
I don't have any idea. I'm not specialized in crypto, but I, I don't see uh, crypto specialized in that. So it's really something to look into because it will change the way people make business mm -hmm. and they will pay less taxes. It won't be good for the government since they, unless they make laws fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, uh, I was just going to say that um, uh, I just literally sent you, Miguel, and I'll send you as well, uh, Jaime. Um, I was just uh, searching on, on, on Google because I, I know that Portugal has done the first legal, official, pure Bitcoin sale for a house. So it's in two people sat on a table and one person handed over a Bitcoin wallet uh, address and... This was overseen by by a legal body, and the other person on that spot transferred Bitcoin to the wallet. It was received on the other wallet, and they exchanged the deed of the house. And on the actual contract of the house, you have the sale is for three Bitcoin, right? <laughs> um, so this was this is this was historical. Uh, it's it's on Financial Times. So if you want to look for a, a, a proper kind of uh, uh, known <laughs> news entities, not like a, a weird one. So he's on Financial Times. And they actually go through a lot of detail on, on what happened and what uh, Jaime is now mentioning about the taxes because Portugal is considered to be one of the biggest uh, crypto havens in the world because there is no capital gains tax. So anything you do with crypto in Portugal, you pay nothing, absolutely zero. So all the crypto that I've exchanged because I'm a tax resident in Portugal, I have, I have nothing to pay. I need to declare it, but it's zero, whatever. I I, uh, I I don't pay anything on those taxes. And that's why there's a lot of people actually moving to Portugal because it's quite interesting. And I think the interesting part, especially Portugal, obviously, if this doesn't change, is the fact that obviously what's the big problem is the volatility, right? You know, in this particular deal, obviously, the deal was started. They started to talk about the three Bitcoin um, around uh, November last year, which was when Bitcoin hit the all-time highs, right? So three Bitcoin at the time was worth uh, $180,000, right? Um, it is now not worth that, and you're nowhere close to that, right? But the interesting part is that if you think about it, it's actually offset by the fact that you pay no taxes in, in a way, right? Because... If you have that transaction and you also have paid taxes, it was like it would be like a double loss. But it's interesting to, to, to one way that we can think about it is that you can bake in the volatility of the of the underlying crypto or the underlying asset by the fact that at least in Portugal, you don't pay you don't need to account for those taxes. Well, also, you have to account for the fact that crypto, Bitcoin, and any crypto asset asset is very liquid. If you're making a deal for three Bitcoin. And you're worried that Bitcoin is going to lose value. You get your Bitcoin, and within you know, small a very small amount of time, you have the money back yeah. in fiat. If that's what you're worried about, so the fact that this you know the seller sold for three Bitcoin and now it's worth maybe a third of that price, maybe he yeah. just banked on it. At least he had the opportunity yeah. to. Um, so I, I think that is absolutely fantastic. And we started this conversation talking about your father's business, Jaime, uh, of house hacking, of buying low and flipping high. I've I had previously considered whether this was, you know, an avenue to explore for some, some side gains. And I was deterred precisely because of the tax situation. But if you, if, if you manage to leverage, 
crypto and blockchain to minimize the tax burden on these transactions, all of a sudden house hacking becomes an explosive um, an explosive avenue here in, in, in Portugal or anywhere that you can apply this methodology. Uh, and in a way, it is another indicator then that could prop up the real estate market forward in those areas. So I think this is this is terrific, very exciting, a lot of room for different folks takes and, and, and biases, because obviously some folks are, you know, more taken by fear in crypto assets. Others are not so sure about the real estate and a global recession. So there's a lot of room for, for nuance and for everyone's take. But the, the upside of the two of blockchain technology getting into real estate, I think I, th- I think there's only upside in this, at least for for the investor, for the buyer, for the seller. And for the intermediaries, maybe not so much for the government, as you said, Jaime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I just want to add what uh, what Jose said. I was almost talking about that transaction because uh, it really happened, and we were anxious to see how did it go. And there's a lot of uh, you know those people that say, "Oh, he lost money in the transaction. Oh, he, you know, because of the, yeah. the fluctuation of the price." But it really showed us how it was possible to do that. And it's, it's possible if you index, if you have a crypto that is attached to values of real, uh, uh, real estate value, it's the, the, when inflation comes, when crisis comes, usually real estate is the last one to drop. Okay, everything, everything crumbles, but real estate will go there eventually, of course, but it's the last one to lose the value because it's the most yeah. valuable asset someone can have, right? Your home. So, and when we're talking, we're talking more about residential and today we talk about more about res- residential yeah. uh, states. We, we could cover others like commercial and, um, and industry because there's a lot of search for that because of things are going online and people want to to go into uh, putting warehouses with you know trade mostly online and having warehouses so we can cover that and i would i would invest in crypto that yeah. is real estate based yeah. it's very value interesting because it, it would it wouldn't fluctuate as much um I, i've got one one last question one parting question i don't yeah do you have one as well miguel no i was actually gonna Ask for a parting thoughts. Yeah. So okay. So my my parting thoughts slash question <laughs> is I will allow it. Thank you very much, Miguel. Um, <laughs> is I'm a buyer. Okay. This is a very quick, like very succinct answer. I'm a buyer. I want to buy. Should I buy, or should I wait? That's a very good question. I would say, I would. I would answer with the question, how much are you willing to wait for? <laughs> so that, that, that's, that's the question. Um, so that's the first question that I would make. To I just did that to a customer of mine yesterday. So if you're willing to wait, like, if you're in Portugal listening, I would say wait for the state budget. Okay. It will be presented in October if you're buying. If you're buying with your own money, if you're buying with the bank's money, hurry. Right. All right. 
yeah, that was a, that was a good question, Jose. Uh, I want to thank uh, obviously both of you, but especially our special guest for today, James. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I think it is full of insight. Um, you, we were privileged to be able to to get your take and to get your draw from your experience in real estate. Uh, and I think there's a bit for everyone here, for the crypto lovers, for the real estate lovers, for those who are looking to diversify their investment portfolio, um, balance their risk factor, because real estate traditionally is uh, has lower risk. Uh, so let us know in the comments, uh, what, what, what is your take on real estate? Uh, if you're a first time buyer, if, how, how hopeful are you feeling? Uh, what, what is your stance? Uh, Jaime, I would like to give you an opportunity to leave your closing thoughts and also for the Portuguese, Portuguese listeners out there, how can they reach you if, they, if they're looking to acquire your services? Uh, thank you, Miguel. Uh, I would like just to thank you for the invitation. It was a, a, a very out of my comfort zone thing to do. I never did nothing similar to this. So I'm very excited and I, I want to congratulate you, you know, congratulate you for having this done in such a professional way. I would say with professionals doing this for years, that I know it's just started. I know it's the fourth or fifth session. So congrats on that. And I just want to say um, to that finish it's James basically you want to find them. I think you can being ge being generous with what you know pays back in time, uh, pays back in real estate or anything you do. So you're being a lot, you're being generous with people that are listening to this, and I hope that my generosity has helped your generosity to bring value to everyone. And and I learned a lot from this discussion and from these questions that you've made. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. And, and I guess just to, to finish plugging Jaime services, if you want to find him, I think you can reach him on LinkedIn. He has, a, has his own profile, Jaime Azevedo. Well, I guess if you're in Portugal, you know how to spell it and we'll leave it also in the episode description. I will put it in the comments so people can, uh, can easily find. Brilliant. Thanks, Jose. And thanks again, Jaime. And we'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Jaime. It was awesome. Thank you, Jose. Thank you. My pleasure. And that's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Jaime. Let us know in the comments what helps you identify a good real estate opportunity. And as always, we hope you stay cozy by the fireside.